cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Get It Whacked, a Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Mac CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club. Find out some things about them you never knew, or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is East Cheshire Mortgages. East Cheshire Mortgages are a local independent mortgage broker who have been established for over 15 years. Paul and his team have a wealth of experience in a number of different areas, specialising in new build and help to buy mortgages. They are currently offering a free initial mortgage review for anyone worried about finances during the current climate. Please visit www.eastcheshiremortgages.co.uk for more information. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest. This man lives and breathes Macclesfield Cricket Club. To say we wouldn't be where we are today without his input and influence is an understatement. You're just as likely to find him on a mower as you are to see him organising with a clipboard in hand. It's the chairman himself, ladies and gentlemen, Mr Simon Griffiths. Mr Chairman, how are you? I'm very well, Miles. Thank you for those kind words, but it's uh, very much a team effort, I think. Yes, uh, a very diplomatic answer, and, and I wouldn't expect anything less from uh, from the head honcho. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. There's uh, a few bits we want to cover today. Um, obviously, it'll be a great opportunity to, to give everybody an update on the state of the club, and especially with, with the fantastic news that we've got a return to cricket just coming up uh, in a few days' time. Um, but also... And uh, this may surprise a few. There's uh, some some interesting cricket and non-cricket related information that I think uh, our listeners might be quite quite interested to, to hear about yourself, which we'll get on to. But um, my first question, of course, is how have you been dealing with the lockdown? Um, you know, coming out the other side now, so I'm going to have to find a first question for all of my uh, future guests. But yeah, how's it been? I think early on, like everybody, one started uh, looking at all the jobs that needed doing at home, all the DIY. Actually, managed to sort the shed out and. Uh, after about three or four weeks, I thought, there's not much more to do here. So I suggested to Sue that I should be furloughed. Bad move. Bad move. So the list came up. I was told in no uncertain matters, you can get things online at B&Q. So uh, that was the end of, end of that. So uh, we're carrying on. And hopefully as things ease, there's a lot to do both at home and at the club. We'll, uh, we'll crack on. And I imagine it's been um, relative bliss now that you've managed to banish your, uh, your two sons. Well, it was for a while, but Matthew was furloughed, so he came back for two or three weeks because he was finding it a bit difficult on, on his own. Um, but of course, Alex is still in the vicinity, but yes, a lot more, a lot more peaceful, a lot more room, and there's no fighting over what we're watching on TV. So uh, yeah, it's good. Do you want to tell us um, what you did for work before becoming the head honcho of Macclesfield? For many, many years, I was a manager in the NHS. Um, started off ooh, years and years ago at Leighton Hospital as a management trainee. And just worked in various sectors, but um, including uh, quite a period which brought me to Macclesfield at Parkside Hospital, where I was the deputy administrator for, for many years. And then uh, the last 20 or so, I was the posh title of head of primary care, which uh, covered all the contractor services, GPs, dentists, uh, opto optometrists and such, uh, all over sort of Merseyside. So all their contracts came under my uh, under my uh, 
responsibility. So it was good, enjoyed it, fantastic times. And would you say this is where you developed your sort of affinity and, dare I say it, skill with the clipboard? Or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm a proper administrator. I have to do everything in three times, you know. Things in triplicate, please. Very, very good indeed. Um, now, uh, before we sort of get on to, to, as I say, a state of the club and all this sort of things, um, you do actually have a little-known rich playing history. You know, you're probably going to disagree with me entirely here, <laughs> but um, what, what would you say your sort of earliest cricketing memories are? Oh, playing with mates down at the park, cutting a strip at my mum's back garden to bowl on, listening to Test Match Special. I think Radders was another one that's uh, making the, uh, keeping the scorebook going. I was a bit unlucky compared to, to, to people nowadays that there wasn't a lot of cricket played at the school I went to in Crewe. Um, although they did have a team, they didn't really coach it very much. Although I do recall the captain at the time was a chap called Norman Hughes who went on to play hockey for Great Britain and coach Great Britain in the Olympics round about, when was Los Angeles? Was that 82, something like that? So I didn't I mean, really start playing until uh, I was working at Leighton where we set up a, a team. And in those days, there were far more pitches that you could hire from the local authorities and started playing there and only really got into playing more regularly when I moved to Macclesfield in the early 80s. Yeah, and that leads us on nicely. Obviously, you did move to Macclesfield in the 80s and um, you have mentioned to me that you know you have had uh, uh, some affinity towards the former Parkside Cricket Club, um, which has been sort of discussed in, in, in various episodes and in various guises and, and I thought it would be um, great to get your take on on um, yeah, on generally all things Parkside. Yeah, well, originally, where well, there was a chap at Parkside who got me playing over at Gorsworth. Um, Gorsworth had a real proper village team where they used to play on the school outfield, a big beer tent that they used to do, and it was the um, used to have the local GP and bank manager all playing, and it was quite a, a, a breeding ground for um, Parkside because quite a few youngsters came over to play for to play for, for the hospital. Um, but then I started playing quite regularly for the twos and I was secretary for Parkside. And uh, yeah, it, it was good at the time, but there was always pressures because even in those days, they were looking for, for cutbacks on the, uh, on the NHS. And I think DC referred to an infamous meeting uh, between Maxfield Cricket Club and Parkside where it was deemed from the Parkside um, view that they were just wanting to take over the club um, and the the uh, meeting that he referred to he can remember it very clearly in the boardroom I think there was Alan Sheraton and Christopher Dean who was a scorer I think at the time for Macclesfield because I was in a bit of a difficult position because there weren't as many um, hospital employees playing for the club and of course, my boss is saying, we've got to cut money here, got to cut money here. We can sell this all off to, to Macclesfield. So in a bit of a, uh, as a cricketer, a bit of a difficult position. But um, we managed to uh, offset that and uh, carried on playing for a, a number of years until other influences um, stopped me playing as regularly as I would have liked. At this juncture, I think it would be uh, great to, to get you to describe your, your sort of cricketing pedigree. Were you a, a searing fast bowler or a nuggety number three? Uh, how long have we got? Well, that <laughs> didn't take long. Um, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't much of a bowler, um, although it's a pity that the, uh, the play cricket don't keep uh, details of lads and dads matches. Um, because I can remember once actually getting Matthew out three times in a lads and dads match. <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> he was only 13 at the time, and uh, I've never faced him since because, as you know, how, how fast and quick he is now, I think I'll uh, I'll avoid that for, for many, many years and just uh, dine out on the three wickets I got him. Uh, but I, I used to open occasionally, middle wicket, middle, middle order. I was in mostly for the fielding, in, but occasionally I'd play ones when they were short. But I... I mean, looking at the skills of some of the youngsters now, um, no way can I repeat some of the stories of the uh, of the other players that we've uh, we've had on. But uh, I enjoyed the game, and that's what matters. Absolutely. And um, just before we sort of maybe move on from Parkside, you know, is there anything you you want to tell us about the sort of the history and the experiences, and and indeed how the eventual merger did come to fruition? Yeah, well, well, with Parkside, I mean, it was, I mean, originally with it being a very large psychiatric hospital, um, they used sport a lot for the for the for the patients, and they played patients played the cricket first, and it was only in what, 1905, I think, it was they actually started a staff um, a staff cricket club. The pitch originally was in the area of Bishoptown Drive. But only moved to its current position. It was also used as a football in the early sort of twentieth century. And uh, the the teams themselves used to play um, lots of other hospitals, and the, and the patients particularly were um, into hospital co- uh, competitions against the likes of Presbyterian Hospital, Chester, and that. But of course, it was as DC said, a lot of entertainment, entertainment for the patients and leisure for the staff. And it was based down at the pitch. The hospital gardeners used to uh, look after all the area, which was used to be one of the, the problems we used to have where, where do you uh, draw the line? How much does the NHS pay for the playing of cricket and how much does um, the, the players contribute? But uh, it started then, I think, after I'd left or I'd stopped playing because of because because of other uh, other pressures. That the I think both teams were struggling to get um, two teams each out on a Saturday. So then it came to the merger. And I would say I wasn't involved as much that time because I'd I, in the sort of late eighties I'd stopped playing because of uh, my footballing commitments and other people just 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 took it on so i only got back involved in the club with the lads when they started playing juniors as i understand it obviously when when you your lads sort of got to junior age um you know you became more heavily involved with the club again and i assume especially with the juniors but uh, am i right in thinking you you may you may have made a few appearances for the uh, for the, the much vaunted and discussed sunday third team as it was well, my, my first time I actually played uh, after quite a, a gap was I landed up playing a game at uh, Neston. That would be in June 2010. I had a quick look at back at play cricket to see the details uh, of, of that match because the only reason I played was they needed a driver and I could get in my car. I could get six lads into the car and uh, as I as I stood in the field there at Neston and it's always a good setup at Neston I, I looked around uh, the other players and I thought last time I played none of these lads were born so I think I think the oldest was Stuart Parks um who was who else it was Leroy was playing uh, Jimmy Knight um Sam Broster was playing and I think it was uh, it was quite a culture shock because I was still in my mind I was as a 20 year old they were able to field and run and do everything and uh, the game, I think we 
must have yeah we batted second I think it was but they 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 put up quite a score and at one cage there was a lad hit the ball way up in the air of course it always comes to you doesn't it so I did all the things we taught the juniors to do called it my ball got underneath it hands up Australian style and promptly put it down didn't I? <laughs> so five six seven minutes later exactly the same thing up in the ball so did the same got underneath it called my name and I dropped it again however ah, this was all part of the plan because I very quickly got the ball and ran the bloke out who'd actually uh, scored 75 and if you look on play cricket the only wicket we got that day was my run out well there we go it was all a cunning plan absolutely you got yourself a couple of shoes and then ran someone out yeah <laughs> but oh, it was, it was uh, what you do in your mind and what you can do physically are two different things. Now, of course, you never ask a lady how old she is, but um, what what age would you have been when you were playing with Messrs, you know, Broster, Parks, Leroy? Uh, Forty-five, fifty-five would have been. Yeah, very, very good. Well, yeah. uh, I, I'm sure it'll come as no surprise that um, a driver was needed to go to a yeah. less than away game. Um, it's. Uh, yeah, not exactly a trip everybody's keen to make, shall we say. We, we do have some interesting and, and lengthy trips in, into the Wirral. Um, but, uh, yeah, less than... I was one of the few people that knew where the turning was and didn't land up halfway into North Wales. <laughs> Very good. Um, but as you say, it is a, it's always a good setup at Neston. Um, it's, I just wish it was a bit closer. But that goes for a lot of the grounds over there, so, so there we are. Um, anyway, moving on to, to something slightly a little bit different now. Um, you, you've just referenced it uh, briefly there, but um, some may not be aware, but you actually had quite a, a, a distinguished career as a football referee. Um, would you like to tell us about that briefly? As uh, this is a cricket podcast, Simon, and, and uh, frankly, I'm loath to t- talk about such a horrible subject as football for far too long. But um, no, uh, joking aside, do, do tell us about um, yeah your refereeing career. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons that stopped I stopped playing cricket because I got to the stage where, particularly when the two seasons overlapped, um, I was refereeing cricket. Sue and I had been going out for not too long, so all these pressures had come in, so I had to decide, right, something's got to go. So I finished with Sue. That was the easiest thing to do, so I could keep cricket and football going. Anyway, I soon saw the error of my ways, and uh, we've been together for uh, 38 years since, so that's uh, so, so been a a rock to to the three of us really as far as cricket goes but no what it was that in the system they used to play a, a referee at one area at one level and line the area above so I just my dad was a referee so I, I just tried it for you know for activity I wasn't a very good player and I just kept on going up the uh, up the hierarchy to eventually um, the highest they got in refereeing was on the conference where Macclesfield were for, for many years and refereeing a couple of years on the old division one and then about 10 years in, in, in the football league and it was brilliant because you've got lots and lots of um, good people that you met and some lots of good people uh, and lots of lots of happy memories really um, seeing that part part of the game and there are at times you know, sort of corollaries to uh, to cricket with it as how sportsmen perform at certain levels so so it was good, and there's, there's, there's some good stories that, 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 um, that I can look fondly upon. Would you like to give us uh, one or two, maybe, of your favourite uh, or funny stories? 
Well, there's one that the thing about it is that you hear the crowd or you don't hear the crowd because you're concentrating. And I can remember on one occasion I was doing a match at Birmingham on the line. And Birmingham is a very difficult ground because the camber on the pitch is very difficult with uh, to, to judge the offsides. Anyway, I was running up and down, doing do a little bit. Half-time whistle comes and I'm jogging across the, across the uh, park. And, and this police lady comes up, up to me and says, it's all right, we've got him on camera. I had absolutely no idea as to what she, she, this lady was talking about. We'll, we'll sort him out second half for you, Lina. Anyway, I went in, we did the match. And afterwards, um, there's a friend of mine, Tony, who, who used to drive me to, to a lot of the matches. He was in fits because apparently there'd been somebody behind me who'd been running up and down, abusing me for the full first half. But I had absolutely no idea that, that he was there. And it was absolutely hilarious because there was a sort of a pathway for the spectators in, in, in front of it. I had no idea. Fitty didn't have video cameras in those days because Tony would have, would have recorded it and, uh, and made, uh, made a uh, killing. Quite a meal of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is interesting that, that the, way, the way things can, can develop and the way a crowd can, can help because um, I remember doing a match at Anfield where uh, how the crowd can support. Now, they were losing 1-0 against Luton with, uh, I think, in an own goal from Morrison. And uh, I was at the cop end. And as the crowd came, came, as the team came out, the crowd really got behind the team, really sort of absolutely, you know, fervently. It may add something with the three goals I disallowed for Liverpool, because being a United fan, it was, um, you know, one has to do one's bit for the team. But the way the crowd can really suck uh, the ball into that, it was, I can remember it to this day, the noise was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, looking at crowds, uh, test match the same, looking at the test match this last week, with there being no crowd there, it does take something from the, from the experience. So it's, uh, there are all, all those corollaries that, that you can have and how managing a game goes from, People management applies just the same to cricket. So where the umpires have to look after the team, look after the player, how, how they make their decisions is, um, is is very relevant. So although they are two very different games, those skills of man management, I think, are very, are very, very important. Before we spend too much time talking about football, which, as you know, I'm, I'm completely unkeen <laughs> to do, before we move on, is, is there anything else you want to tell us briefly, um, you know, about refereeing or... Or anything else you can say before we move on to to some other cricket. Well, I think with referees, umpires, the scrutiny now with, with, with television is um, is so hard. In fact, I'm, I'm very glad I'm not now on on the uh, on the list because uh, it doesn't help that Spectre. Because I remember being actually abused once on the radio by Alan Green um, for some decisions, but. He'd got the wrong person. <laughs> he'd got his facts wrong. So he was abusing Mr. Griffiths from Macclesfield, whereas it wasn't me. So professionalism is 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 important in, in for the media, but it, it's hard for the lads now, and it applies to the umpires as well. Look how often though they get the decisions right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, that's that's always a very hard thing, isn't it? Especially at the, the top level, and and we've just seen with with England versus the West Indies in the, in in the first test. Um, there's an awful lot of scrutiny on those umpires, especially as, um, you know, with having 
non-neutral empires in inverted commas obviously you know the empiring panel are all english which must for them present itself as a, a very hard thing and you know it goes without saying all of those umpires are professionals um and and frankly it shouldn't really matter where they come from that they're all at that level and doing their job because they're good not not because of where they're born but you know exceptional circumstances dictate that, that we're using english empires but it doesn't help when you know on the, on the first couple of days, all the sort of appeals that the, the England boys have gone for, they, the umpires have considered it out and it's been overturned. And then, you know, the West Indies uh, go for an appeal, it's not out, and then it's overturned in, in, in their favour. Um, and there's been an awful lot of kind of flack and, and, and comment passing around about the umpiring. But what I would say is, as, as, as hard as it must have been for the players to get back, with having been in lockdown and especially the fast bowlers you know limited time to to prepare and and all the rest of it if you if you consider how much time in in actuality they have had the west indies have been over here for a a good few weeks now and they were they were up at uh, manchester and then down at southampton the poor umpires i mean it must be pretty hard for them to practice um in lockdown and and it's little wonder that it's it's probably taken them a little while to to find their feet or rather their eyes so i i do sympathize with them massively but i must applaud um you know icc for kind of adding an additional um a decision review because having three instead of two is 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 definitely something that i think will help what i didn't expect though was my refereeing skills we brought into umpiring with the threes and uh, if i can tell you a little story involving uh, bostock and moores but this time at chester and this time it wasn't andy moores winding up uh, chester it was uh, tony and uh, I was umpiring a third team game there and uh, it didn't help. Bostock went out to bat with his mongoose and managed to wind them up straight away with that. So he, I think he hit a 20 fairly quickly. And we think we posted ooh, 290, you know what Chester's like, it's often a bit, a bit of a road, I think. Um, I think Froggy got 70 odd or something that day. But during the match, there was a particular fielder um for chester that was his language was a little bit choice should we say and i'd had to have a, a few words with him um during the um during the match you see can you keep it down a little bit and then we went to to field and uh they were never quite getting but i had this lad was actually batting quite well and then there was a, a controversial run out decision uh which was miles run out and he didn't like it and all of a sudden Tony's giving him a send-off and all of a sudden there's fisticuffs coming and I'm doing my old refereeing bit and getting in and separating them. So Moore's Chester doesn't always go down as well as you'd expect. So um, do, you, uh, do you remember the name of this individual from Chester? Uh, I can't at the moment. Uh, I'd have to I'd look back. He did. He, that's a batty. He did all right. Um, I'd have to go back into the uh, the scorebook to have a look. I think Matthew got, might have got five wickets that day, but... Um, uh, I, I can't remember him, but it, it was, I mean, afterwards, because I was thinking, well, we've got to do, we've got to do things correctly. And I have to report this because it was just, you know, both my own team, obviously, uh, umpire in Macclesfield um, and, and the visitors as well. But in the end, we got in the bar, we had a good chat about it, apologies, sorted it out and, and, and we, we move on. But it was, uh, it was interesting. Well, let it not be said that Tony Moores is not a fierce competitor. <laughs> I think that's that's all I will add to that particular yeah. subject. <laughs>
Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Since the debut episode 14 weeks ago, we have amassed over 4,000 unique downloads from 14 different countries, including one very dedicated listener from Sweden. To say the podcast has developed quicker than I ever thought it would, would be an understatement. As such, I would like to offer listeners the opportunity to become more involved with the podcast by becoming patrons. The podcast is currently self-funded, and with your help, I would like to continue to develop the quality and content. For anyone interested in this, please visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash get it whacked, or you can find a link in the description of the podcast. Thank you. Now, moving on from, you know, some some nice uh, talk about your cricket and obviously the refereeing as well, Simon, I, I thought it'd be great to give um, everybody a bit of an update on on generally some some club, some club news information. Um, the first thing to say, and, and it gives me a uh, great pleasure to say this, I'm sure everybody is perfectly aware by now, but of course, we do have the return of cricket on Saturday. Um, the ones and twos are at home. Um, with uh, with a couple of friendly games against uh, local rivals Bollington. So I believe you can see the twos in action at 12 o'clock and then the ones will be playing Bollington as well at 3 o'clock, both in, in respective T20 games. I would love to be able to tell you where the threes are playing, um, but unfortunately um, I can't and, and that's nothing to do with ourselves. Um, we will either be at home or we'll be away. Um, which <laughs> might sound as, might sound very obvious, but it, it is the truth. Um, yeah, I mean, in 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 some ways, I do hope we're we're at home because uh, you know that'll be the first time, and I think probably the only time we'll ever have all three Saturday teams at the same ground. But um, no, the the threes begin their their season on Saturday uh, with a league game. We start a week earlier than the ones and twos, um, but due to the league having to completely redo the fixture schedule um, at, at very short notice, we we don't actually know where we're playing. But um, the important thing is there's three games of cricket on Saturday, and indeed on Sunday we've managed to organise um, a friendly for the fourth team against Langley second team. So um, lots of cricket, um, and of course I'm sure the junior section will be uh, be getting underway as well. Um, but kind of moving on from from that, I thought the first thing I would I'd like to get your your take on is a bit of an update on the club fund. Um, and the sort of COVID appeal. Um, ha- how's that gone? And perhaps you could also tell us about some of the grants and things that we've managed to apply for. A yeah, no, number of things, but perhaps if it just perhaps for people that don't know, um, just give an overview of the finances in terms of the debt that we, we, we are carrying. Um, there was quite a few years ago, before I was involved in, in, in the club, um, the club sold some land on which is now Fernley Drive um, got a substantial bit of uh, cash for that but a few months later um, that money seemed to have disappeared and it seemed that the treasurer at the time was was running two books and uh, I'm not sure the details of why the person was never taken to prison but um, it left uh, the club with quite a quite a problem uh, one of the members at the time, uh, Ian Moore, I think it was, who subsequently passed away, managed to get a loan from the Cheshire at uh, interest-free loan. Uh, no, interest-only loan, which it was interest-free. Um, and that managed to bail us out. Uh, but then after that, the club finances were um, still not being run properly. And 
uh, Mike Burdekin, who's former chairman and president, and Roger Moss, who's still obviously our president now and treasurer, put their own money into the club to keep it afloat back in sort of the um, late 1990s, early 2000s. Uh, and so we've been saddled with that for some time and trying to repay that back. Now, over recent years, we've managed to pay back Roger and Mike because they gave it as an interest-free loan, um, which was brilliant. But we've still got that. We've got a debt of about £65,000 uh, owing to the building society, which we've got plans to pay that off. So a bit of context in terms of our financial position there. Um, so that means we have to be very, very careful in how we spend money because the, the committee at the time, well, at the time about 10 years ago, decided to sell the ground. And people might not know this, that the planning permission was granted to sell uh, Victoria Road and to build a new ground on um, London Road opposite football, which had had two grounds, hockey, bowls. And the, the rationale was broad figures we get five million pounds uh, for the sale four million pounds to build the new ground and a million pound pay off the debts and the interest will keep us going but a few of us which barney was involved in um particularly and um martin bale who was 13 captain and was martin was uh, quite high up in shell i think at the time looked at it with a number of us thought this plant just is not viable um so we decided to stay at Victoria Road and start building and repairing and maintaining because the ground had been ignored in a lot of the work it should have done. When all the Sky TV money came in, um, we didn't apply, understand, for things like grants for nets, which is why we were one of the few clubs that didn't have nets for, for, for many years. So that gives a context. So we've always got this bit where they were trying to spend money, but bring the ground up, up to date. So we do not we could not survive in just the income from playing cricket or the income from the bar we need sponsorship uh, so the sponsors that you're quite rightly highlighting without their input would be uh, we would be in trouble as without the uh, annual firework display so we estimate and comes back to sort of long-winded way of answering your, your, your question in respect of the um monies that we need and the appeal that we put and we reckon with no cricket at all we needed to raise or have about an income of about £15,000 coming in over the summer uh, to maintain or just maintaining the ground, uh, doing the building work that's required, painting. Of course, the grass still grows. We still need to put some drainage work in, all those list of things that, that, that we've seen going on. So I think through the generosity of a lot of people, we got to about 8500 That'll be a little bit more when the gift aid comes in. So I'm comfortable that we can we can continue continue investing that will be uh, that will be a, a plus point for us because now we're incurring more expenditure now we're playing um jimmy and paul are going to do the grounds so uh we still need to be mindful of the finances so it's a bit of a long-winded answer to you i'm sorry about that but i think it's important that people understand the context of what we're trying to do absolutely um and um we have uh, been successful in in getting a couple of grants from from various places. Do you maybe want to sort of highlight what we've achieved? 
Well, one bit, I know the government's come under a, a, a lot of criticism, mostly valid in the way they've handled the crisis, but for a number of sporting and leisure clubs, there was, depending on your rate of value, there was a grant uh, of £10,000, which we got, and a lot of the other clubs in the area will have got, and that's been a lifesaver because in the way we manage the finances, we always keep a certain amount of money ring-fenced for a rainy day. Um, I think that's just been you know, financially prudent. So we got that. We also put in an application to Sport England for help with the groundwork for you know for, for during the lockdown, and we got nineteen hundred pounds for that. So that's been really really helpful, and it just I think it's given us that little bit of breathing space that we can still invest in in what we need to do. Because if we don't carry on investing in the ground and the facilities, it'll only cost us more in the in the long run. Absolutely, and and as a result of that, um, what are some of the projects that we indeed we've done so far this this sort of season and and have got coming up? Well, we've got the um, some of the work we've done. If those haven't noticed that the gable ends of the clubhouse have been painted, they were absolutely awful in terms of the holiday grain that looks more professional for us. So that's good, and when we get some time and some money, we'll do the uh, the wall of the clubhouse facing the um, facing the bowling green. If you look at the the um, the decking, we've got some new uh, glass viewing screens on there, and that's all been painted. Um, more importantly, we've put some additional drainage in at Parkside in some of the wet areas. Um, we've bought with the equipment. We've managed to purchase a scarifying unit, which means that Paolo and and Jimmy can do some work on during the season without getting contractors in. Other things that we're looking at, and perhaps talk a little bit more detail on that later in terms of how do we develop the clubhouse um, my main focus particularly though is we've got to keep on improving the square and the outfield uh, it's compared to how it was three four years ago it is so so much better but we spent a lot of money in routine maintenance and that needs funding so you know, when we're getting the fees for tees and things like that, it's not just for paying for the tees, it's for the groundwork and investing in, in what we do because cricket uh, isn't a cheap game in that sense. No, absolutely not. And you talk about some of the advances that we've made with Parkside as, as well as the main ground and, and uh, you know, people will be aware that Swamp Corner is, is um, less Swamp Corner now and more sort of occasional Puddle Corner. Um, but we, we have made big big advances on Parkside as well. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to maybe just briefly touch upon the, um, the ownership and, and the current sort of state of play with Parkside. Yeah, well, Parkside, um, I mean, some people um, that are involved in the club won't remember Parkside as a hospital because it used to stretch all the way from the Villas Roundabout um, down Victoria Road. And as, if people are familiar with Victoria, just after you, as you're heading down from Fallybroom Road, if you look at the brickwork on the right-hand side, that's slightly, slightly different because that was a bridge that used to go over, over Victoria Road because... Um, lunatics as they were described then weren't allowed on the public highway so it was a bridge over to uh, the other side which was a farm so where the um, hospice is um, used to be all farmland um, and as you move down Victoria Road where you see where the clock tower is on the right hand side my office used to be underneath there which always a bit annoying because the clock used to chime every 15 minutes and when you're trying to get your afternoon kip you know it's very very disconcerting but all that land, all the way down to the Parkside ground, was put up for sale. 
and as part of the sale um, there was a planning agreement of what they call a 106 agreement which um, said that Parkside Cricket Ground should be made into a trust uh, run by Maxwell Borough Council and the NHS. Now that became apparent very quickly that legally the NHS couldn't enter into such agreements and so we're now talking about 1989, I think it was, uh, 89, 91, round, round that period. Um, and it's gone backwards and forwards since then. It's still owned by the NHS. It's owned currently by the Wirral, uh, Cheshire and Wirral Partnership Trust and Mental Health Provider. And we can't seem to get the two sides to sort the matter out. I've been close quite a few times to getting it transferred to us but it never quite happens. So the latest is that we finally got some agreement from the NHS to transfer it to the local authority. The local authority feels that it can't then just transfer it back onto us um, for, you know, for a nominal fee because, and I can understand this bit, you know, it's a public um, asset. You can hardly just transfer it to a, a public sort of, you know, a limited company such as us, even though it's all they could put lots of protections in to ensure it remains as open space. Because the NHS, one of they were concerned that at some stage down the line that people would sell it and they would lose the value if it went for housing. But they're not able to do that because of the planning. So the last meeting I had was October last year. Um, and the, it's currently now between the solicitors of the local authority and the uh, NHS to sort out the transfer and then to sort out the lease back to back to us. Um, of course, when we take that on, we need to know how long the lease is going to be. They're talking about 30 years. I was trying for a lot longer, but looks like 30 years is all that they will give us. But we need to understand what our liabilities are um, for taking on that responsibility. Because if you think all oh, the trees. Uh, all the lime trees have got TPOs on, the preservation orders on. So what's our responsibility for, for those? So I, my way of thinking this is we've got to get it transferred to us for as little as possible. And we know that what uh, cost it might be. So that will involve solicitors work. We need to get everything tied up. So that will cost us a little bit in legal fees. But I think for the protection of the club, it's absolutely vital that we still have Parkside as second ground for us otherwise i don't think we would be viable as a club um, without having that capacity because we couldn't play all the senior and junior cricket that, that we have without that facility so fingers crossed it might sort out but we're getting up to um it's 20 i think it's 29 years now since it was sorted so uh, uh, I've been on to Rutley, David Rutley, our MP, on a number of occasions and he has been trying to, to be fair to him to get it moved but we're just stuck. I've got a file as thick as anything here at, at home, but uh, hopefully we will get there before I uh, finally pop my clogs. <laughs> Very good. But don't bank on it. <laughs> no, well, quite. You've you've touched on a, on a few bits there, and I, and I think it's sort of pertinent to, to my next question, which is maybe just to to outline briefly um, the sort of role of the committee, um, and indeed, kind of what our future. Ro- goals and aims are as as a club from the committee's point of view obviously we all know what what we what we're aiming for with the cricket but you know off off the field it's important maybe to, for people to understand that as well 
I, I think so. I think that is important because without the committee, without whose sort of role it is to ensure that we have the infrastructure in which to play cricket, because without that, all the wonderful stories that we've had from from previous you know, podcasts from the players, which wouldn't happen. And I think that running organisations, as we are all, all volunteers as a cricket club and other clubs, it gets more and more complex um, with, if you think about, you know, health and safety, we employ staff. So we've got to think about you know, HR, we've got to think welfare. So the role of the committee is to make sure that environment is is working properly because we're all volunteers, as I just said. Most of us got to it because you know, our kids have played cricket or we've played cricket ourselves. Um, so the roles that people have are so, so important. Um, so if you think, for example, uh, Charlotte um, Jennings in terms of our welfare officer, stuff that you don't see behind the scenes and make sure everything's done correctly. Now, it may be, you feel a bit bureaucratic at times when we're chasing people, can you get your, um, your passport in? We need, we need to validate and do the, the, the checks, the DRB checks for you. So, so important because there's a reason for that. There is a lot of child abuse around in the country and hopefully there's none that we're aware of. But when it comes up, we have to create the environment that we are comfortable that our children and our youngsters and our adults can, can play cricket. So the roles of the committee are so, so important. Um, finance, we've we touched on. And my ambition is that for every job that we have, there's more than one person that is involved in it. So think finance. We've got Roger, as our, our, who's been our treasurer for many, many years but ably, ably supported by, by Debbie Coombs and Andy Hay. And what they're doing is really looking at how the um, finances work, how we support Liz behind the bar is, is very, very important. And, and all, all the committee members, um, what they do, Jonathan Spencer Pickett comes up with good advice because of his experience he's got through Kings is, is always, always helpful. Um, Ben Ben Welsh in, in his role as secretary is important because keeping you know, the the the, um, the governance working in, in the right manner. It's stuff that you don't see and and is challenging. And and the other really really important person on that. I mean they're all important. You shouldn't highlight one above another. Is is the likes of um, of Tandy because Tandy and the work that she does in maintaining the membership, doing the newsletter, maintaining the website, all those things is. How she does it with all her other jobs, I really do not know. She's an absolute, you know, uh, you know, tower of strength to, to to the club. And so when when people get irritated with things that we do, they do we're doing it for you know a good reason. So every one of them plays an absolute vital role in maintaining the environment for the guys to go out and hit that piece of leather on a, on a Saturday and Sunday. Well. All I can say is, um, you know, we we all look forward to to exactly that this Saturday. But um, hopefully, this is this has given um, a few people a little bit more of an insight into to what really goes on behind the uh, the scenes of a cricket club, um, and indeed, uh, you know, take the opportunity on behalf of all the playing base to, to thank yourself and and very much the wider committee for for everything they do. Because, as I said in my introduction, um, without the likes of yourself and, and other people there would be no cricket uh, and there'd certainly be no club so you know i think it's been a, a really good opportunity to to highlight some of those things and in and indeed engage with the playing base a little bit more with com- committee matters i think it's fair to say that we are a very sort of open club information is always free flowing but um you know perhaps 
not everybody always takes the the necessary time to, to keep up with the information that, that is distributed um, but um, I'm sure you know not taking words out of your mouth you, you'd always be here keen to hear from people that have got questions or indeed want to get involved with with a bit more of the behind the scenes work absolutely i mean uh, it's good now that the likes of you know crossy yourself Stu parks last year again involved attending committee meetings and because as i said we are a cricket club so it's really really important that, that the cricketers are influencing and saying what what we should do because it's not just a committee that there is a whole again troop of other people that that do work and if Adam Massey's been doing a great deal of, of help for us in, in sorting out some things at the moment. Vic on a Saturday is so, so, so helpful. Um, so, but if there are people that can spare a bit of time to do some jobs, you know, they don't have to come on the committee. If they've got particular skills that they can bring to us, um, that is absolutely uh, 100% welcome to us. And please hope people feel it's an open, uh, an open. Uh, an open house that they can make comments and suggestions it's uh, most most welcome because it's it's it is we it's not i it's we i'm not like you know, one of the things that really irritates me about those government ministers is that i've done this i've done that no you haven't done it it's your team's done it uh, and that's what it is within the club there's so many people that contribute to uh, to what we do Fantastic. I think that's a great way to head towards the end of the podcast Simon uh, before we do wrap it up um any sort of closing remarks or, or statements yeah, I think as far as you know, looking ahead to the future, we've got to keep on developing. We've done a lot of improvements when you look around the ground. Um, and if you think in the wider cricketing in, in the area, how teams have folded. If you go down to Chelford, how sad that is now. The ground's overgrown with some teams like Poynton and Disley have merged. And I think we've lost Wayfair as Mosley have merged with Congleton. So, so lots of so we have to keep on improving. We have to keep on developing. And to that, the academy is absolutely vital. And we've been so, so lucky with having, you know, Stuart and now Yards, who've got experienced cricketers that know what it's like, that can take things uh, and develop those juniors, support the coaches, some of whom, you know, have never played cricket at the level that they've played and can help them and guide them. So getting those going and transitioning what you do with the threes and transitioning people to, to senior cricket is vital because without the youngsters coming through, we won't survive uh, as a club. So that that's a challenge for us. We've got to keep moving, keep developing. And that needs everybody to sign in and, and uh, you know help us. Well, Simon, I have to say it's been uh, an, an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, great to kind of get some insight into to what goes on behind the scenes of the club and indeed touch on some of your uh, you know playing days and, and, and hear about a bit of football, which I'm always keen to avoid wherever possible. But um, yeah, uh, as I say, been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to, to catching up with you uh, very soon and indeed seeing you down at the ground this Saturday. See you Saturday. Thanks, Miles. And thanks for all the work you do on this, because it's really, really important in capturing the history of, of the club. And, and those anecdotes are always well worth listening to. Absolutely. Cheers, Simon. Thanks, Miles.